Divers have found World War II-era bombs in a lagoon in Tuvalu as part of Operation Render Safe, involving the navies of Australia, New Zealand and Canada alongside the US Marine Corps. The explosives are thought to have been dumped by the US military at the end of the war. Over a period of about two weeks, we found 22 500-pound World War-era bombs in the Nanamuya Lagoon. We did have reports that there was at least one bomb located previously, um, but to go up there over a period of three days and find 22 was not really expected. Nearly 80 years after the end of World War II, we're still cleaning up the mess. Cities have been rebuilt, borders redrawn, but there's still an estimated 1.6 million tonnes of ordnance on ocean floors. Some experts say there's a lot more than that. In a sense, the Tuvalu find is a drop in the ocean of a project that may never end. Operation Render Safe is an enduring operation um, and mainly um, led from the Australian Defence Force. And, and previously, the areas that they've worked in were the Solomon Islands, Vanuatu, I mean, obviously moving on to Tuvalu. I don't think we'll, we'll ever get there. You know, it's, it's a bit of an ongoing activity because we don't know where everything is. On land, those explosive remnants of war, or ERW, are also still a clear and present danger. Some of our Pacific islands are still in dire need of a clean-up. I don't even think you could put enough zeros on, on how much would be needed to do it properly. I'm Alexia Russell, and today on The Detail, what we dumped after the war, who we dumped it on, and how the clean-up's going. HMS Armentina spent the last two weeks uh, transiting around the Solomon Islands looking for uh, Second World War bombs that have been left behind from the war. So we go and search areas, utilising our sonar, our vehicles and our divers, and then if we find something, we have got the explosives and the equipment on board to uh, explosively detonate anything that we find on the seabed. We know that where some items of ordnance are. It's just getting the governments to agree for us to go and get rid of them, and it takes time. Lieutenant Commander Simon Marston is the officer in charge of the dive group at HMNZDS Matatawa, which is the specialist unit that took part in Operation Render Safe. That was an Australian-led exercise, but New Zealand has an equivalent operation called Pukorua. Every two years we try and get up to the islands and, and do some work around the explosive remnants of war. And does the Navy just look after the stuff that's in the water? No, we have done some land clearance um, activities as well during recent procurers and render saves. Okay, so there must be an awful lot still up there then. Um, There's a huge amount. If you look, I guess um, one of the areas that we used to do a lot of clearance in the Solomon Islands, Guadalcanal area, there there are some huge um, battles up that way. So a lot of ordnance gets thrown around and I think the World War II statistic is around 10% of all munitions fired fail to function as designed so but um, yeah I guess there's a lot, a lot yeah. of stuff lying around. But fail to function doesn't mean that it's not dangerous now? Yeah correct so the types of munition that we tend to deal with are a mixture of, of unfused munitions that have been dumped post-conflict so it's, an, it's just an easy way to get rid of them, hide them underwater. So, so deliberately they, they defuse them and deliberately dump them? They're, they're, yeah, and they've probably never been fused. So um, these things just sit in storage depots or the field depots that they had ready, ready to be fused, weren't used. Uh, just stick them, you know, get them on a dumper truck, 
get them on a barge and, and sink a barge off one of the islands somewhere. So you come across these barges that are that are full of projectiles, which are the artillery rounds. The danger with those sort of things is that obviously they, over time, the explosive breaks down and becomes slightly more sensitive inside them. They are reasonably safe to move, so we can sort of bring them up, move them to somewhere else. But the idea is we don't let them dry out because that can cause the explosives to get a little bit more sensitive. So do you just lift the whole barge up? No, so we would have to empty the barge here. We don't have that facility. Um, You probably wouldn't want to be moving a whole pile of explosives onto a ship. So then what do you do with them? How do you dispose of them? So we negotiate with the local government, local governance, I suppose, around the area and look for a disposal site on land where we can safely stack and then put in protective works, mitigate any explosive danger and get rid of them. So you're talking about bury them or blow them up? No, we detonate, yeah. So we use explosives to get rid of them. That's the cleanest way of of, um, removing the danger. But this is a problem all over the world. Really what's happening is people are moving further out into the oceans, right? So when these things were first disposed, and most of them were intended to be disposed at depths where people would never reach, I don't think they were conceiving of undersea cables or wind power that was installed at sea. So we are expanding our reach into the ocean, and that's why we're encountering these these legacy items. This is Dr. Margot Edwards, a marine geologist at the University of Hawaii, who's been involved in projects finding and mapping dumped munitions, many of them chemical weapons. Mostly they were dumped by the military at the end of wars. So a lot of the munitions, the majority, I would say, are found around the European Union, but there are a lot around the U.S. too and around Hawaii. There are a lot in the uh, in the Pacific, wherever, you know, fighting was happening. But, you know, it wasn't just the U.S. It wasn't just the Brits. It wasn't just the Germans. It was pretty much everybody that was engaged in, in war. And it, it has been happening for a long time. We have evidence in Hawaii of munitions that were, you know, dumped even prior to the start of World War One. And that, does that pose a danger now? So that's a great question. And the answer, unfortunately, depends on so many things. Um, where you are in the world, uh, how deep the munitions were disposed, whether or not the munitions that were disposed were damaged, um, what the environmental conditions are like. You can imagine that some environments um, corrode more than other kinds of environments. The ocean is a big and complicated place. And so, you know, trying to figure out what to do uh, is almost a a site-by-site remediation effort. In the Tuvalu discovery that our Navy was involved in, the commander of the HMNZS Manawanui, John McQueen, told Morning Report disposal is not easy. It might be that they get floated and then um, are taken to a disposal site. One of the options also is to destroy them on site, um, but obviously that, that will have an impact on the ecology and biodiversity of the um, lagoon. There's ways of safely doing that, but that's probably a last resort. What is the safe way to do that? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, there, there's several methods. Um, there's kind of what's called low-ordering them, which is to inject a, a small amount of explosive on the side of the um, bombs themselves, and then that tries to burn out the explosive material inside the bomb. But then also high-ordering them, which is to put a, a bigger charge, and effectively that would uh, mean that the, the bomb would blow up underwater. And, and we can obviously try and make that as safe as possible for the environment um, and the people. 
One of the things that they've been um, experimenting with in the United States is what's called cut and capture. So they they will make a small hole in the metal casing um, so that they can put sort of a suction device on the on the munition and suck out the constituents. Um, it's obviously very labor intensive, but the you know the alternative is to destroy all the animals that have formed a habitat after decades on the munitions. And that's in some ways even worse than having the constituents leak into the into the environment. So when you talk about constituents, are you talking about chemicals that leach out? Yeah, I mean, so there's I think of it as two kinds of chemicals. There's the chemicals for explosives, right, like TNT, which is the one that we typically think of. And then there was actually chemical agent, which were things like mustard that were meant to explode and create, you know, aerosols that would that would harm the enemy. The difference between those two is that most of the munitions that had chemical agent in them had tens to hundreds of pounds of agent on the inside of them and just a a much smaller amount of an explosive. So other than this labor-intensive method of of drilling in and getting the chemicals out, what other means are used to dispose of them? Not very much work has done on trying, trying to pick them up from the bottom. There have been efforts to encase them in, you know, like concrete. There have obviously been uh, examples of blowing up the munition in place. That that typically tends to happen when it seems like there's really a potential for damage. For example, a, a trawler might come along and and hit the munition and, and hurt people. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, there have been remotely operated vehicles that have gone down and, and picked things up and brought them back up to the surface. Usually what is done is there's now chemical neutralization processes, right, that didn't exist back in the 1940s um, so that they can, you know, kind of cut into them and neutralize the chemical constituents. They can also burn them. They have very fancy ovens for burning the munitions that'll contain all of the materials. At the end of World War II, for example, what was the mentality of dumping these? Was there no forward plan? Did they mark, for example, where they put them? You know, the options back then were not ideal. Maybe they're never ideal, but the options back then were basically you could bury them, right, which meant that if they leaked because of corrosion, they could potentially leak into a water table, which would be bad. You could burn them, which for the reasons that we were just discussing would be bad. You know, they could explode, they could go into the air column, or you could, you know, dispose of them at sea, which is about 70% of the planet. And back then, when we weren't really doing telecommunications cables underwater and and building wind farms offshore, you know, disposing them at sea seemed like the safest option. And they didn't necessarily feel they had to map the GPS location of where it was? They couldn't map the GPS location. That's a great question. And people often forget that back in 1944, they didn't have GPS, right? I (laughs) I was privileged to meet one of the people that he came forward after we were discussing my research and the news in Hawaii. And he told me that, you know, they used sort of the old wayfinding techniques. You would go out to sea and, and hold your your hand in that configuration, like call me, right? And if when the the size of a building on the shore was from the bottom tip of your 
little finger to the top tip of your thumb, you were far enough offshore, and that's when you could start disposing the munitions. We didn't have the same kind of navigation capability back then. We haven't had the ability to precisely locate where ships were. Did that gentleman help you? Like, did what he say lead to he discoveries? He absolutely did. He he told me what the what the process was for for the dumping, and I've we've since been able to find some old movie tone movie news that that showed exactly what he was describing but you know finding pictures from that era finding even written documentation of what was done the the documentation that we found in Hawaii that was really you know most important to telling us where to go look said 5 miles offshore of Oahu right that's a very large area How difficult is it to locate ordnance on the ocean floor? Yeah, it's fairly difficult, but Mato is lucky. We have a number of um, sensor systems available that, that we utilise for, for different things, and, and one of the uses, obviously, is finding things on the seabed, so explosive ordnance are always no different. Um, we, we've got autonomous um, systems that utilise side-scan sonar, so they can give us a picture of something, and, and they're pretty accurate in terms of positioning, and also the picture is pretty good. So that's a little robot camera that you send under the water? Well, this this is an autonomous system. It's like a torpedo, I guess, is, is a good way of uh, looking at it. And it, it um, you can plan a mission into it on, on the surface and tell it to go and look in this area, and it'll basically just go up and down with its side-scan sonar and map the seabed, and then they can get the apparatus back post-mission and download all the content and, and go through all the sonar files and have a look for any objects of interest. Are they hard to spot? Because one of the pictures I saw it was just so encrusted by corals and marine life that it looked like part of the furniture kind of thing. Yeah, they are. So some of the, the, the larger ordnance items, of, you know, the things that have been down there for years, if it's not attached to a ammunition barge that's been sunk, then, yeah, they can be quite difficult. So we also have other systems Code sonar systems that, that can be tra- controlled by from a, a small craft, so we can be quite accurate with where we put it. We also got systems that are diver handheld systems, so you can either look for the magnetic signature of the object using a magnetometer, which can you know, tell a diver that there's something large and magnetic over here, and, and it kind of leads into it or the diver can bring it up on his sonar. You know, I was told that there was about 1.6 million tonnes of ordnance under the world's oceans. Any idea of how much is in our backyard? Um, I would say that was a, a massive underestimation. Really? <laughs> yeah, I've been dealing with unexploded ordnance for 30 years, and mostly around up until 2007 around the UK, which had 3 million mines were laid between Britain and France in World War Two. Only a million have been accounted for. So there's there's two million undersea mines alone, so that's not including any other sort of ordnance that, that's been dumped or has found its way, airdropped weapons that have found their way into the sea. So I would guess there's there's a huge amount in the Pacific and, and from my recollection of past activities that I've been involved in out in Papua New Guinea, um, Kiribati, Solomon Islands, you know, we go out for maybe four weeks to do these activities and, and we're not, you know, it's, it's a hugely busy period. We don't ever come away thinking, well, well, that's cleared that up. And what what danger does it currently pose to people? You know, why do we not just leave it there to rot? Yeah, so 
I know in, definitely in the Solomon Islands and, and probably some of the other island groups as well that, that people, you know, they know where a lot of this stuff is that just through local knowledge. And, and this information has been passed down from village elders, you know, that were there when it was dumped or, or saw the you know, munition going, it's surprising how many times you, you, you listen to you know, these stories of people that, you know, were told where this thing is and they know exactly where they are. And what happens is they, you know, they, they, they pick this stuff up because it contains explosives and it's useful to them. Dynamite fishing is quite a big thing out in the islands where they reuse the explosive to create charges to, to help them catch fish. That does not sound safe. No, it's not safe at all. And, and, and quite often... Over time, you'll you'll hear of stories of people just <laughs> having incidents and accidents with these kind of explosives. The Pacific was a key battleground in the Second World War, and wartime relics can be found all over islands like Nauru. Some still pose a very real danger. Historically, you know, there's a lot of people from the Solomons who have been injured from trying to use these explosives for fishing, um, ornamental purposes. People just uh, have an interest in what, what's been left behind and they play with them and obviously people can get hurt. It never occurs to any one of us staying here of the clear and present danger. RNZ Pacific journalist Karoy Hawkins grew up in the Solomon Islands and is now most definitely aware of that clear and present danger. Battle of Guadalcanal, all of the fighting up through the short lens into New Guinea, yeah, hundreds of World War II aircraft, ships, some of the worst, fiercest fighting of the Pacific theatre of war happened in and around the Solomon Islands. So yeah, very much grew up with the history around us. Um, my mother uh, one of her earliest memories she shared with me was uh, being in a in a foxhole in uh, Hopei Island in the western province, and just seeing her her uncle silhouetted against the front of uh, the mouth of the foxhole with tracer fire going across the islands. And she said it was just it was just a huge thing for them. This imagine people that are still sort of coming in to modern technology, maybe had a few cars, just getting roads. And then to have these huge U.S. aircraft carriers, destroyers, basically moving islands, turn up on their shores. So it was, it was quite a brutal introduction to the theatre of war for a lot of Solomon Islanders. So, yeah, we grew up um, collecting dog tags. We used to go out, collect bullets, went up and checked out foxholes. Well, I have uncles who have huge collections of various bits and pieces of um, from Japanese bayonets to uh, helmets to actually fully intact uh, rifles that still fire. Um, if you're lucky, you get them that are the, the crates that are wrapped in greaseproof paper and you still get some where the wood's rotted away but the functioning bits still function. Are these relics of the past or are they still experiencing that? Do you, you, know, do you still sometimes literally trip over old casings and bullets and things? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You can. Uh, there's places in um, in the jungle where you walk walking over shells. Like if you're going into the where the battlefields are in the zones, and you don't have to dig very far down, just under the mulch, the leaf mulch and the ground to get to to casings. And and the incendiary, the dangerous part is obviously the bombs and the the explosive that is still live ammunition. Like we used to thought it was heaps of fun because some of the kids used to cut into the bombs. And we'd get the, they're like um, cylindrical gunpowder capsules. From They empty them out from inside the bomb casings. So on our wooden desks in school, we used to line them up and draw sort of our names 
our initials on the desk and, and light, light them with a match. And then they just burn it, burn our names into the desk, but not realize. Oh my gosh. Like, you know, that, yeah, yeah. We were, we were playing dangerous stuff, man. Like, like we, we didn't realize that if they had a trigger, the, whatever it was, the, the tip of the bomb or whatever, it would have killed us, you know? So, and th- there are tragically a lot of stories of Solomon Islanders who are just lighting fires. Um, even in the last, couple of years there's been a there was a youth group in in Honiara in the capital where they were just cooking a meal for the youth for a fundraising and they died because there was a bomb underneath it anything that was used in the war is lying around but the, the problem is like the a lot of the the life in the villages is is slash and burn agriculture for subsistence living and so people are, are, are cutting and burning all the time for their gardens and and people are getting killed because they, they just happen to be burning uh, old ammo dump site or come across a hand grenade and it kills them. So, yeah, there's there's um, horrific stories of people that have been maimed. And then uh, other people are using actually using the World War II explosives. So they cut into the bombs, get the gunpowder, pack it into um, bottles and and use it as dynamite to kill fish. Uh, for fishing, and some of them get hurt because it obviously, you know, miss miss time the timer blows up in their hands and blinds them, and all of this kind of stuff. So, yeah, there's this huge, huge legacy from the war that really needs to be looked at um, properly. Yeah. Eighty years on from the Second World War, and Solomon Islands is demanding that former enemies, Japan and the United States, clean up deadly, unexploded bombs. Back in the day, it was kind of just accepted that, you know, this is what happens, this is the war happened, you know, and this is what it is. But I think nowadays you're seeing a lot more people being vocal and being like, hang on, you know, uh, this is stuff that you've left behind, that, that you have responsibility to clear. And with the advantage of the in, increased geopolitical interest in the Pacific is that some of this stuff can be leveraged now um, to actually get some funding into work and to help. And I know there's little bits of funding that are there. Um, Australia and New Zealand have done a lot to train. I think our bomb disposal team in the Solomons is probably one of the best in the Pacific Islands of the Pacific Island countries. They deal with it so much. Um, but still, yeah, it's it's a real danger. Like I was in a, in a cab with a taxi driver and he was showing off very proudly this rusted old American hand grenade that he had rattling around in his car. <laughs> and the roads in Solomon Islands, if you know them, are full of potholes and all of this. And this thing was just rattling around on near his dashboard. And I'm like, I quickly sort of, you know, just educated him on, man, you need to get this out of your car and to the police. But we're, we're nearly 80 years on now from the end of World War Two, And it seems to me that where's the outrage? I mean, where's the pickup crew? Where's the kind of constant pressure on governments to do something about this it seems like it's something you've almost accepted yeah yeah it's been put in the too hard basket for too long like it's just like i'll explain it this way like the hills around my my town in munda uh when you're landing uh, on the airfield which is actually a world war ii airfield they they're covered in greenery and they look um pristine you know you look like coming in all this pristine pacific island but if you go under the brush and actually go into the mountains, there's there's roads cut into the hills, like terraces with um indents for like the for like the hospital bays and the ammo ammo dumps and that the whole landscape was was like denuded of forestry and turned into like an operational base 
with, with hospitals and ammo dumps and, uh, you know, airfields and all of this. So underneath the greenery that covers a lot of Solomon Islands is, is uh, if you take all the greenery away, you'll, you'll still see the, the infrastructure and the impact of the war on the actual land, if you know what I mean. Like, it, it's cut into the land. It's not always as easy as, you know, a government turning around and saying, oh, I've got all this stuff I need to get rid of. Can you please come and do it? There's other considerations. Um, for Vanuatu, for example, these things are at the entrance to the port. So, you know, if we start closing down ports that have got cruise ships alongside, etc., then it becomes quite messy. We could go out there tomorrow and, and do this activity. However, what we need to have in place for the safety of other people conducting that is, is the right medical support and that involves quite high-end medical support you need the, the ability to be able to evacuate somebody immediately by helicopter so that therefore we need a platform to carry a helicopter we need support in terms of the right medical people and, and obviously they've been pretty busy the last few years it's not gone away and, and really the, the amount of work that ourselves the adf the us and other countries that are involved we really haven't skimmed the surface of it, to be honest. So it's, it's definitely not gone away. How many millions of dollars would you need to, to go through those salvage and secure operations? And there's just not, at the moment, any political will to be doing any of that stuff because there's so much out there. That's it for today. I'm Alexia Russell. The detail is public interest journalism funded through NZ On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by Phil Benge and produced by Mark Jennings. Thanks to Dr Margot Edwards, Lieutenant Commander Simon Marston and Karoi Hawkins. Mate wa.